Welcome to Final Fantasy Weekly. I'm Drew Kreisman. And I'm Ira Kreisman. And on this episode, we continue and conclude our conversation on the soundtrack of Final Fantasy VII. I'm not going to do the whole preamble and apology again at the beginning of this one. Just know that I'm very, very sorry that I didn't rank your favorite piece of music where it should go. Uh, not really the point of this exercise, really just helped us kind of create some kind of structure to what is ultimately a masterpiece of a soundtrack and even plenty of the music we're not even going to get to is worthy of admiration and celebration. But one additional caveat I do have to make, though, is that I left out a lot of pieces of music that are essentially leitmotifed. So, for example, Holding My Thoughts in My Heart or On That Day Five Years Ago are both leitmotifs of the main theme. Flowers Blooming in the Church is just another take on Aerith's theme. So, again, mostly for the sake of time, I excluded. And, and all of those pieces of music are different and interesting and compelling and deep ways that are probably worthy of conversation, but we're already at two hours on the Final Fantasy VII OST, so tell us what we missed. Hit us up on Twitter, on the Patreon, all that stuff. What's your favorite piece that we didn't get around to talking to? We did 40 to 21. Let's just get right back into it, Ira, with number 20. Another one that I think I probably rank higher than other people that's a personal favorite and an atmospheric one that uses the Final Fantasy VII bells. We get to get right back into that trope. I most associate this piece with Medeal. I do think it plays in a couple other places, but really with Cloud and the full mental break that happens in Medeal. And it is aptly titled Off the Edge of Despair. I like this piece. You know, if they played it at the Dear Friends concert or the Distant Worlds concert or something, I would be kind of perplexed. <laughs> sure. Right? Yeah, like, it's right. not one of those pieces. Right. But uh, I'll, I'll give it a bit more than uh, it does its job in that it makes me feel uneasy. But not necessarily like in a horror movie way, more in a an impending tragedy kind of way like yeah something bad is coming and like we can't get off the trolley right right it's got this warble to it it's got that repeating line that is there for the entire piece until one moment where everything else kind of cuts out and the there's one long note that's held in kind of a lack of resolution which is actually how the song loops which is just very very clever it reminds me a lot of the kind of music making Uematsu did in 6 where like you said you wouldn't expect to hear it at a, at a concert the melody itself is only really interesting if you're paying close attention to how he's slowly adding rhythm and notes to it and it is an interesting melody and I do think there's more going on here than even in the average Uematsu atmospheric piece where there's usually quite a bit going on but 
it's just clever enough and not the last time I'll say this, but one of the best times, I think, just a reminder that those bells, they're like the voices of the planet or the life stream or there's they're a character in this story and the music is a character in this story and I think this is one of those pieces that isn't a, a character theme or tied to a big moment it's just there and like you said it gets the feeling into you that's really important to have right before the big reveal about Cloud, who Cloud really is and all of that all right, in at number 19, we start getting into the truly iconic stuff. And if you feel like this is ranked too low, so do I. But I've got the Gold Saucer. Like we said when it debuted in the story, this signals a huge tonal shift, right? Like we just came off of the mining slums of coral and now we're here in this big display of wealth and exuberance and excess. And the piece really goes a long way to sell that. Like this is a carnival, this is a, this is a Disneyland, this is a theme park. It's a cool piece and it, and it really gets the tone across. And I just like it. It's just neat. Yeah, the melody is really catchy. It's really, despite the fact that it's actually fairly complicated, and it's strange that it hooks into you that way. A lot like, you know, the way casinos are built to not let you out. This piece just sort of never feels like it ends, and you can go on with it in your head forever and ever. The melody, if you want to really, you know, listen to how intricate and interesting the melody is, without it just feeling like that, oh my God, I'm at the circus feel, check out the piano version of it. It's also really great in Final Fantasy XIV. It's brought back for that gold saucer, but it's a wonderful piece of music. I also feel like it does a good job of being very clear about what it is. Like sometimes there will be a piece of music that's sort of trying to be especially clever or especially subtle. Maybe that's more short stories than music. I don't know, but I feel like sometimes an author or perhaps a composer will play coy with what it is they're trying to do, uh, you know, right. what the message is or whatever. And I feel like this piece is just very clear about this is exactly what you think it is. Yeah, I would say the same thing actually for our next piece, number 18, taking us back to the slums of Midgar. And it is both titled exactly what it sounds like and sounds like exactly what it's supposed to be, and that is underneath the rotting pizza. This one's getting back into some of those industrial sounds, yeah? And it's yeah. it's almost Turk-like, and then yeah. it's got some of those uh, per- percussive 
cool, smooth qualities to them that are almost, you know, we're, this might be a little covert. We might be on a mission. We might be doing, going through air ducts and whatnot. Yeah. It's got that super groovy, weird electronic hook to it that just, it's all flavor, this piece. There's not a lot of technique or complicated melodies. There's arguably, you know, the little three notes on the guitar. Is that the melody? But it's just a sound, a feel, a flavor. Even that title, Underneath the Rotting Pizza, you know, where they talk about the plates as a pizza. Barrett references that, to have it here in the in the piece and rotting pizza. That's what it sounds like. That's It's just, ah, what is, like, but it's groovy and cool at the same time, like you said. And so another personal favorite of mine that I couldn't believe I ranked this low, honestly. Uh-huh. The next piece at number 17 exists in very similar space, both literally and figuratively. It's back when we're in Midgar, and it gives you that grungy street level feel the reason i ranked it a little bit higher is because it's got that you could actually play this song in the bar in the cantina in the seedy underground place and it would feel right and not as people just trying to like make you feel like you're in a seedy underground place but also with that upbeat fun kind of thing like they do very well, like John Williams strikes this exact same tone in the cantina in Star Wars Episode Four, right? But oppressed people at 17. I would be interested to know what the beats per minute on this is because it feels like it's uh it doesn't feel like a march but it feels like a stroll you know it, yeah. it feels like uh sort of ambling along but at a you know not not just sort of hanging out Center. but yeah but, but with purpose right like we're doing a yeah. thing we're going to a place and uh, you know maybe we're going there for to chill or maybe we're going there to do something nefarious but uh yeah, it's, it's definitely got a, a forward movement to it. Yeah, yeah, I like that observation. I like the jazziness of this one, the feel of it. I will say I had very few complaints about Final Fantasy VII Remake and even fewer about what they did with the soundtrack. And while this piece was still in it and represented, I think, properly... I was a little disappointed that it's not playing while you're in Wall Market, and the piece that does is quite a bit more upbeat. And for me, I didn't feel like it struck quite the right tone. This this is the right tone for that. So anyway, I love that piece there. All right, in at number 16. I think for me, other than one I'll get to in the top five, this is the piece that most makes the point of the soundtrack bringing you into a completely different world than all the other Final Fantasies before, 
but then other fantasy or other science fiction of of Final Fantasy VII just being completely its own thing. And I feel like while I can't close my mind and see exactly where I was the first time I heard the music for the Mako reactor, Mako, sorry, we're older now and (laughs) there's actual pronunciations of these things, but the music in the Mako reactor, especially the original, just was unlike anything my 11, 12-year-old self had ever heard before. This one is cool. I like this one a lot. It's atmospheric, like you were saying about some of the others. Uh, it's a little, it's a little slower. It's a little more contemplative, uh, but it's certainly not background music, right? It's there's a purpose here, and it is intense and not especially kind. Yeah, those electronic sounds and the way they echo and the way the percussion echoes and the industrial beats and the hammer on anvil that we're going to get back to and you had mentioned kind of the magitech research facility from six before but that has a lot more movement to it right this is much more down and kind of in your guts and there's something irreplaceable there there are a lot of pieces of music on these early soundtracks that i will prefer the most recent version of them because they just sound better on real instruments with all due respect to MIDI stuff that I'll still enjoy. But this is one even, and I like the new one from Remake, I will still go back and listen to the original Mako Reactor theme because it's irreplaceable. Okay, into the top 15, and I feel like I say this every other song, but this is a personal favorite, and if I'm reading Twitter correctly, I believe this is a personal favorite for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) This is one of those ones that's not Uematsu's masterwork in terms of did he challenge musical norms or change this, that, or the other. Interrupted by Fireworks is just incredibly pleasant music.
do you remember a remixer from OC Remix named Klutz, K-L-U-T-Z? Sure, the piano player, yeah. Yeah, this would be beautiful in that person's style. Right. We've talked before about moments of quiet in stories, movies, games, and how Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli seem to have mastered that. This piece and this scene that, that it accompanies is one of those moments, and it really is, no matter who you're with, right? It's just a nice, quiet moment in all the craziness and political machinations and corporate greed and uh, you know stabbing corporate presidents in the back and monsters and, and slums and everything else. You, you just sometimes you just got to take a moment, even in a video game, to, to take a breath. And, and this is one of those breaths. Yeah. It's a beautiful melody. The bells are back again to give us that warmth and comfort. Even the title of the song, again, we've talked about how, you know, there are clunky translations and some clunky dialogue in the first even nine games, ten maybe. <laughs> I know it's, there's, and no writing is perfect when you're writing all that much. But interrupted by fireworks, because that's exactly what happens on the date with either Tifa or Aerith. You know, there's sort of about to be this big heartfelt moment. It seems like Tifa is about to confess her feelings for Cloud. Or Aerith is about to confess that she knows more than she's letting on. And like you're saying, they both just stop in that moment and decide to watch the fireworks and in my mind, hear this piece of music in their heads. It's it's what they're feeling internally is what this piece of music is. Because externally is still you know, and all the all the colors. But internally, this is what they're feeling. Brilliant music making and use of it. You've also got to use it in the right way in the story. And wow, yeah. How is that only 15? Okay, how is this only number 14? Again, one of my favorite points to make about Uematsu music is the test of, could you put this on at the properly themed party or gathering of people and play it and have no one turn their head or ask, like, is that some weird video gamey stuff? And with Costa del Sol, you put this on at a salsa dance and people are out there having fun everyone's just going to dance to it and no one's going to ask or think that it hasn't been one of those pieces of music that's existed forever So it's not a, a calming breath in the same way that the last one was, but this too is, is a little slower paced, just like Costa del Sol seems to be, right? It's a little more laid back, a little more chill, even Hojo's lounging on the beach. Right. Yeah, it, it's a nice piece. I like it a lot. I think it's, I think it fits its uh, spot rather well. It, again, it just amazes me that 
someone can go to Uematsu, who's been writing primarily medieval music and then some steampunk stuff. He's dabbled in electronic and spacey music, and they're just like, okay, now can you do one of these sort of Latin samba pieces that's real jazzy and smooth and laid back and perfect for a beach? He's like, yeah, no problem. And he just and he just makes this. Well, come on, dude. <laughs> okay, fine. I guess you're that good. Um, speaking of that good, now we just, we really do get into the cream of the crop here. The top 13, it gets ridiculous. At number 13, I consider this to be a secondary main theme of Final Fantasy VII. It is the piece of music that most often accompanies and stands in for, especially Cloud's anxiety, but anxiety in general, and that's why it is called Anxious Heart. This is so good, man. It's just so good. So good. Uh, it's it's quiet, it's contemplative. Like you said, they'll put you on edge just a little bit. This is not this is not a quiet breath. This is holding your breath. This mm. is and it's also a little sad. Uh, it, this song knows things. This song has experienced things. It's in no rush. Doesn't need to be. It's already experienced it. Right. It's got those weird bends on the woodwind instrument and electronic elements but also strings like you said so slow in fact it's so slow and quiet there are moments it just fades completely out and leaves a moment of space before it fades back in it swells and de-swells I don't <laughs> it's, it's like the surf right it comes in it goes out it comes yeah. in it goes out it's just a beautiful piece of music and every time it comes up in the story and every time I hear it in life, it give, it still makes my hair stand on end. It still gives me goosebumps. It's, it's incredible. How did it not get into the top 10? Because <laughs> Nobu Mons is a genius and at number 12, I, no introduction, it's Sid's theme.
Yeah, uh, talk about a hero theme, <laughs> right? It, and it, it's sort of, I mean, we've talked about the problems with Sid in this game. He's not nice to Shara. He's verbally abusive to her. Uh, yep. He's a cantankerous old asshole. I, I kind of like the cantankerous part, right? Yeah. But, but he does, you know, he has his turn. He, he realizes that he's screwed up. Uh, and also, he is—he's reaching for the stars, you know, almost, you know, as, lit as literally as an astronaut can. He wants to go to space, and he wants to have that adventure. He wants to have that experience. He wants—he's dreaming of bigger things, and this is the—this is the theme of a person who dreams of big things, and I really like it. Yeah, it also reminds me in a lot of ways. You remember those completely over-the-top commercials for the marines when we were kids especially sure. you know, the few the proud and you know it always be some guy with a sword like fighting a giant fire monster or whatever uh -huh. and it feels like you could play this piece in one of those commercials which sort of reminds me that sid's theme is similar to clouds and that he's got this ptsd as well and you know in game we're only really given this one major incident but they don't dive quite as deep into the fact that he did used to work for Shinra and, and the Lost Dreams and, and all of that. And he's sort of like this old soldier whose war is over and he's got nothing left. And he, like you mentioned, the cantankerous and all that stuff. And when he gets the opportunity to help the team save the planet and he shows up for it, like you said, it's a theme for someone who dreams of being better, of doing better and... I love it every time. It's such a inspirational. It truly is an inspirational piece of music. Okay, in at number 11, I have the Wu-Tai Ruins. get to hear Uematsu work in these kind of eastern tones and they kind of stay away from it in a lot of the games but when they do boy <laughs> do they really make you feel it and one of the things I love so much about this piece is like a lot of others it's remarkably atmospheric it puts you in the place it needs to makes you feel like you're somewhere different than you've been the rest of the game. I could get into my love of the percussive sounds that he's using and the big gongs and this Asian flute and all of that. But, you know, if it was all that in this first minute of melody, it would be one of my favorites and it probably would have ranked in the 20s or 30s and it would have reminded me a lot of music he made in Final Fantasy 4 for the illusory world things like that but then at a minute rather than just looping 
it introduces another melody with more electronic tones and a sitar that comes in and this is where it becomes a piece that really sinks into my soul you know it reminds me a lot i remember dad would always play like uh parts of space uh-huh. and stuff like that on npr these like collections of orchestral and electronic music that make you just kind of float in space i'll listen to this piece to go to sleep to a lot uh, it's just remarkable. So I want to compare it to a piece from Seven and contrast with a piece from Seven. I want to compare it first to the Turks piece again, right? To the, the Turks theme. It, again, it's got some of that percussive, cool quality that uh, I've already said, talked about the Turks and, and a, a few others here. And it, it yeah, it, it if Wutai had its version of the Turks, which maybe you could say it does in its its version of ninjas. Right. You know, this might be their thing. Yeah. You know, Yuffie is not humming this piece. Right. In interlude, right? She's she's humming her thing. So the fact that... So, so now I want to contrast with, with Yuffie's piece, right? Because this seems to represent right. Wutai from before the war. And yeah. Yuffie seems to be representing Wutai after the war. And so that this piece feels older, that it feels like it's been through something, is, is a neat trick to pull. Yeah. All right, you ready for the top 10? We're only now getting to the top 10? What were these last 30? <laughs> Just pretty good music, I guess. No, I guess. It, it, it's... Now it gets good? No, it's been good this whole time. But at number 10, an all-time personal favorite for me. Again, not the most complicated piece in the world, but the way it's layered, the way it's built, and the way that it again represents the tone it just has to. And I've never heard anything else quite exactly like you can hear the cry of the planet. Have we already made a comparison to the end of the world song from Chrono Trigger? I think so, but we can do it again. This is, you're, you're back yeah. on those bells, right? And again, sometimes those bells feel like they're not being played by a person, but by the planet, the wind, the movement of the whatever. Yeah, this is, this is one of those pieces that, I, I mean, we've said atmospheric a lot already. We said that some of these pieces take their time. They're in no rush already. This one follows in some of those same veins. Yeah, it is. I could almost listen to this forever. 
There is a version of this on YouTube played by someone named Sebastian Frege. He just has an electronic cello and a loop pedal. And it's phenomenal to listen to if you want to hear him essentially recreate exactly how Nobuo Uematsu wrote this piece and how its layering is so important and that it's not about how many notes can you play or how complicated can your melody be. It really is just about putting every little thing right where it's supposed to go. Every long string note, every slight change in that background noise that is ever present as a kind of siren or warning or... I can't call it a riff. (laughs) It's... I mean, I love this piece so, so much. Uh, Even the, again, the title of it, it's one where... It's, it's had a couple of different interpretations. Can you hear the cry of the planet or you can hear the cry of the planets? Hard to tell whether or not it's supposed to be a question or not, but even just the cry of the planet is doing the heavy work there. And Yes, that's what it sounds like. The cry of the planet. Imagine walking up to a person saying, hey, can you compose to me something that sort of sounds like the planet is crying out in pain? Mm-hmm. Man. And Omatsu goes, yeah, I got you. I got you. Sure. I've been working on something. I have some ideas. Yeah. Yeah. All right. At number nine, how about encapsulating the heart and soul of the story in a character theme that has as much depth and layer and nuance as Tifa. So for a character whose Final Fantasy class is quick and, you know, strike hard, strike first. Yeah, strike often. Uh, yeah, she. this is uh, the theme of a quieter character. Like even as a, a kid, I feel like Tifa wasn't quiet. Right. right? We get that, that flashback in Remake of her saying, hey, Cloud, are you ignoring me? Like yeah. she's she's not one to to hold her tongue if she doesn't feel like she needs to or wants to. Right. But this is uh, you know the theme of a quiet soul, perhaps someone who likes yes. to sit at the well and stare at the cosmos and and think about you know the the, the people we've lost and and where they might be and what they might be thinking. 
you know, are they beyond the mountains? So I really like this for her. I, I like that this is, you know, we're all multiple people, right? That we, we're everyone we've ever been growing up and, and living our lives and all the experiences we ha- we've had. And so it's nice to see that, you know, this, this bartender from the slums who can kick ass any day of the week has this side to her that most people don't get to see. Right. That only a few people have gotten to see. And that primary melody, I think I said something similar about Terra's theme in Final Fantasy VI, but good musicians will search a long time without coming up with something as good as... Like, that alone, before he's even begun to expand upon it, that is, I don't know how he does it. I don't know. I really, if I did, I'd I'd maybe be doing that. But uh, whether you're listening to it on piano or the full orchestration, the version of it in remake just brought me to absolute tears the first time I heard it when you arrive back in the slums after the first mission. And because it's just so good and heartfelt and yeah if you if you care about that character and everything that she goes through like you said it's just such a good representation of who she is and it's you know got a bit longer of an introduction and it goes in a few other places it's it's longer than most other main character themes that repeat pretty quickly and i i think that's on purpose as well digging deeper into like you were saying, she's not just this thing that she is. And it's not that she's pretending the way Cloud is. She's not on the surface just being outgoing and a badass. She's legitimately outgoing and a badass. She's just not only that. Kind of like the theme itself, right? It, it takes a while to get to know right. all of the things about Tifa. Right. All right. Here's one that's everybody's favorite the first time you heard it, this is like a moment in a Final Fantasy fan's life. The first time they experienced everything that comes along with what I have at number eight, officially titled Valley of the Fallen Star. You probably know it better as the theme for Cosmo Canyon. So I do feel like I'm starting to say this over and over again, but man, what a cool piece. <laughs> it's good music, huh? It is, it is. And it, it exemplifies Red so well. Um, and, and we've talked before, or, or we've talked already about, you know, some of the potentially problematic uh, issues of having your one character who's vaguely Native American based being literally not human and, and how this, this the song sort of goes to emphasize that. At the same time, as we said in that episode, Red is such an interesting, well-rounded character that it helps to uh, hopefully undercut 
uh, what could be potentially a, a negative trope there. And this, I mean, it's also just, it's a really cool piece. The, the flutes and the drums, it's, I remember, you know, a hundred years ago when we were kids, we like, we, we had a program that would allow us to write music, sort of like sheet music. You could mm -hmm. sort of program in the notes and have sheet music and we like wrote this up so we could play it on our horns. Yep. It, yeah, it's just, it really gets into you and was not the kind of thing we were used to hearing in games. And again, back to my point on Costa del Sol or oppressed people, like the ability to just make a piece of music that is drawing on traditions that are not your own, that is supposed to be representative of a place in the world or of people that are not necessarily your own, and to do it so lovingly and so well. Uh, I heard a comedian, it was actually Ronnie Chang recently, say that, you know, if you're making stereotypes about people, the most important thing is that you just have to be really good at what you're doing. <laughs> It's just like, I guess otherwise, so, yeah. don't, right? Just leave it. And if you're, you know, going to go there, and that's kind of what Uematsu pulled off here, is like, man, if you're going to do the drums and the whole thing, like, this can't be a parody. It can't be, you know, that, that kind of appropriation. It's got to be a loving tribute to that kind of music. And that's exactly what this is. Stellar. Still played to this day in concert halls around the world. Uh, I believe they played it at the one I went to most recently in Denver. And yeah, I cried. <laughs> Who's asking? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was number eight. Jeez. <laughs> oh, okay. In at number seven, we have terribly titled, but no one cares because they just think of it not as still more fighting. They think of it as the boss battle music from Final Fantasy VII, and it may be the greatest boss battle music of all time. <laughs> some battle music that'll get you hyped <laughs> this is cool i love it yeah this is battle music unlike battle music we had heard before right this is this is a heck of a thing and it is uh and it goes and it goes and goes this is a this is speed racer right this is this is cool yeah fully plugged in electric guitars no just like subtle hints of it in the background like we had in final fantasy 6 at times this is just like grungy almost metal guitar he's got that prog rock organ like makes no bones about it he's just like I've always wanted to be in the band Rush here I go <laughs> it's like okay the complicated melody lines darting back and forth off of each other 
tagging different instruments in and out to take over the melody. One of the most satisfying loops in the history of music that loops. When it hits that huge note on the synthesizer at the end that carries over the top, and then the guitar comes back in with chicka cha cha chicka cha cha it's just, yeah, like, yeah, like you said, it gets you hype, it makes you want to run a mile, maybe not you and me, if we could, for better shape, that's the kind of thing that we were inclined to do. Um, the versions of it in Remake are mind-blowingly good, like, almost too good to handle. Like, I almost can't listen to them unless I'm sitting still in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it just... What a riff, what a melody, what a collection of concepts. There's even things going on in the background, like triplets on the hi-hat, on the drum that you might miss that are offbeat to everything else during important sounds. The Black Mages version of it, you gotta listen to that like with any of the other battle musics, but it's just, yeah... If you're at a Final Fantasy Black Mages or any any kind of concert where they're being interpreted in a rock way, if it's not just, you know, orchestra, but if there are people with guitars playing Final Fantasy music, this song will be played. All right. So how is it possible that at number six, there's another piece of battle music from this game that I have ahead of it? And it's the bass battle music, simply titled Fighting. So what I will say, one, is just from a pragmatic standpoint, in the game we hear this one a lot more, right? And mm -hmm. I feel like the fact that it never gets old or tiring is an incredible testament to its depth. I do think that it's a tiny bit less filled with hyperdrive allows for that, and I also think that it has a little bit more of that hero theme going on in some of its undertones. I think particularly when it gets to a, the big turnaround at the end with the ascending notes that just get higher and higher and higher, it creates an enormous sense of, again, I'll use the word atmosphere. And so for me, this song also gets a great deal of credit for being one of the first to sell Final Fantasy VII as being its own, right? You hear it probably more than any other piece. It's one of the first ones that you're going to hear because you're going to get into battle pretty quickly. And it has all of the elements. It's got that hammer on anvil in the background. It's got the sweeping strings and heroic horns, but it's also got the driving guitars and the everything that makes it what it is. And I'll say this, when I first heard the version of it in Remake, the biggest version that adds just one tiny little counter melody on the string that actually reminded me a lot of Final Fantasy Tactics music. I heard it before the game came out. It was one of the few pieces they released. And I don't know that battle music has ever made me cry before. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, I, I like the observation that it's got a bit of the of a heroic theme to it. Whereas the other one is, is really more 
kind of go, go, go. This one does feel, I, I think you're right, it, hopeful in, in that, in, in that swell of combat. Yeah. And I, I do think that as far as many phrases in the history of Nobuo Uematsu, for me, is just one of the greats. It, it does something inside my chest that I don't fully understand. Okay, top five. And at number five is J-E-N-O-V-A. I think that's how I'm supposed to say it. There's a dash between each one. It's certainly very intense in its titling. Intense name, intense piece. It is, talk about go, go, go from the beginning, intensely electronic. The bass line is out of this world, not so bananas. There's actually a really great breakdown. We're not going to be able to do the technical part of this, and really most pieces I do a little bit best I can. Check out Alex Mukula. I hope everyone who's listening to this knows yeah. him as well. On Twitter, on YouTube. He's a cool guy. So cool. He breaks down this piece in particular and how and why it keeps changing place and not letting you feel like you're in a comfortable spot. It's so clever. It's so brilliant. And then, again, back to the ultimate point of all of that technicality is really to give us something we've never heard before. We've said it many times about even just the games themselves. Give us an experience we've never had before and this piece of music doesn't sound like anything else you start playing Genova and it that's all it just sounds like it an alien <laughs> from the Final <laughs> Fantasy 7 world there's nothing else that sounds like this yeah I, I wonder I can't recall right now off the top of my head what the uh, Levos piece sounds like but i don't think it sounds quite like this does it it's got some similar tendencies though yeah i think aiming at at a similar type of feel because they're both alien parasites that are here to suck the planet dry so yeah yeah, that's that's interesting if uh if galactus if we ever get a movie with galactus where galactus gets its own theme maybe it should be something kind of like this right It, it also reminds me of another fan favorite and favorite of mine from the next game, it's got similar tones to The Man with the Machine Gun. But uh, we'll get into that when we get into that. To totally shift tones and calm it way down, in at number four is the main theme, sometimes called Cloud's theme, but really it's just the main theme of Final Fantasy VII.
Yeah, I think this is a good theme for Cloud. I think it's a good theme for the game and for the overworld and for Cloud himself. It's it's big and it's mysterious and at times it's maybe a little sinister. The first three or four notes are the same first uh, three or four notes of the Tim Burton, Danny Elfman Batman theme. Right. Which is cool. And it, it goes in a lot of different places, much like our heroes do. Uh, you know, Cloud goes more than anywhere, right? Because he also delves into his psyche and he goes into the past. So yeah, this is a, it's a big complex piece that's trying to tell like four or five stories at once. And I think it does a pretty good job. <laughs> that's exactly right. Just like the game, right? And it's funny because we've done a lot of contrasting to Final Fantasy VI and its overworld theme is very clearly Terra's theme. There's no question about that. It's very driving. It's a march. It loops back in on itself pretty quickly and in a satisfying way so that we never get too far away from the kind of driving force of its absolutely perfect melody. Whereas this is a long, drawn-out, contemplative, very much not a march. You know darker you mentioned Danny Elfman and I, I think that's 100% accurate in fact I think this main theme echoes throughout a lot of the rest of the soundtrack and that we've heard Uematsu playing in more Joe Hisashi and John Williams tones for the first five or six games more often but he really is more in Danny Elfman space throughout most of this soundtrack uh, great for a late 90s game as well but yeah the eeriness of it the bells again uh, the huge swell when it finally climaxes on the piano just is one of my favorite things in music. And then even the way it gets dark and totally changes its tone for a minute and almost sounds like it becomes a different song at the end before coming back in again with the hero music and the hero theme, which is also a move that Tim Burton pulls off with the Batman theme. And so it's just like, man, borrowing from great people but still making your own thing and it you know it because it's less melodic and driving than a lot of the other main themes in final fantasy it was never one of my favorites but because this game of course you you love it so much and it gets into you over time it is of course one of those pieces that when i hear it at a concert when i'm flipping through final fantasy music and the ff7 main theme comes on tear comes to my eye Think about the entire journey, the entire world, all the characters, everything that happens in that space. And this piece of music somehow feels like it touches on all of that.
in at number three, the piece of music that to me establishes it. You can, you gotta wow them in the beginning if you're gonna do something new. People love to talk about how Final Fantasy VII brought us into a whole new age of gaming and it's 100% accurate. And in my mind, the opening slash bombing mission piece of music is integral to making that an unforgettable moment in the history of the medium. So I don't really care about the rules for list making necessarily, but I'm pretty sure you're a cheater, cheater, pumpkin eater. Uh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> These are technically, it is technically one song, and that opening bit isn't really long enough that I wanted to rank it on its own, but of course, any Final Fantasy VII fan hears that first minute of long build to the triumphant horns over the title card. They're going to get shivers, and I'm going to yeah. win that argument. So Yeah, right. abs- abs- absolutely, yeah. Starting with the with the chimes that are not quite they're little bells, right? They're not quite bells, but they kind of are. Yeah. It's a it's maybe not the the cries of the planet, but the singing of the planet. Uh, yeah. And then, yeah, like I said, we pull way out out of the alleyway, uh, out of the city. We get that big shot of the tower and the and the title card, and then we zoom in on the train. Uh, and man, these spiky we hear the train, train first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so cool. And then and then we got a mission. Yeah, I. I was trying to figure out, because I don't know your list. I mean, I knew which certain things had to be on it, right? But I didn't know where they were going to go. And I was trying to figure out how we were going to get all these pieces in with so <laughs> few slots left. And then, oh, it's because you're a cheater, which is fine. Like, I'm not saying you shouldn't cheat. I'm just saying we should all acknowledge that you cheated. Uh, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. <laughs> um, but then even the, the piece that does the heavy leg work here, the bombing mission, is just extraordinary. The rhythms and... The building of, again, the different elements that we're going to hear throughout the game. We're getting horns, but we're getting electronics, and we're getting just a new Uematsu. We're getting a new Final Fantasy. It doesn't hold your hand and ask you to, you know, do some medieval stuff before we get there. Boom. This is what it is. A bombing mission. And 
so perfect for that. It's also one of the very few. If you go to a Distant Worlds concert, anything where there's a full orchestra, there are three acceptable pieces to open that concert. Open with just the main Final Fantasy prelude on the harp. Settle everyone in. No one's going to complain. You can open with, and most do, the piece of music that begins the next game in the franchise. Or you can play this one. That's it. Those are the three. You, and, and this is almost always played as well. It's just such good music making. I'm not sure. Again, I'm not technically skilled enough to even explain to you or myself how and why these rhythms work so well. How and why he's able to keep that background bit going on the piano while all of these other interesting melodies come and go. And it just, I don't know. I don't know how he does it. And that, of course, goes that much more for our top two. Put them in whatever order you want. These, I think, have to be the top two. Uh, I went with the less technically interesting, but far more beautiful piece of music at number two, Aerith's Theme. You know, I spent so many hours on the internet trying to figure out if you really could <laughs> resurrect Aerith. I really, really did. Yeah. yeah, man, what a good piece. I mean, that's that's what we always say when we do these music episodes. But it's just so... It exemplifies her so well, right? Like, she, she was kind of... She, she had a, a little fire to her. Right? She wasn't a pushover. She was strong. But also she was very, very kind. And I feel like this song is both of those things also. You can't... I mean, you could shove at this song if you wanted to. But 
it's it's you're not going to break it. It's it's got a real solid footing to it, while also being just really nice. Yeah. It strikes the perfect balance, just like the character between beautiful and uplifting and melancholy and sad. And I think for most people, when they hear this music, it evokes, you know, tears, uh, that kind of emotion, because we're sad that Aerith is gone and, and everything that happened. But there's also that element of there are uplifting moments in it. And it does have a, a rising feel. Even just, you know, the first three notes that everyone hears. It's a three notes that ascend on the scale. And it's very simple in that way. It's really built around that idea. Three notes up, three notes down. Three notes up and three notes down. Um, but it's... It's just so much more than that. And it, it's one of, I think, the best examples you can find of music that doesn't have to be outside of any box, necessarily. Like, it's just good melody writing, good harmonies. Everything's what it's supposed to be. It reminds me a lot of, I'll say similar things when we get to, to Xanarkand from Final Fantasy X. It's this entire exercise has been ridiculous. Ranking <laughs> pieces of music is ridiculous. And so since I'm doing the ridiculous, I'll lean into it and say something that doesn't really make sense because art doesn't work this way. And I'll almost never say it about a piece of music. But I will say it about this one. It's perfect. It is only and exactly what it needs to be. This piece is played at real people's weddings and funerals. And again, great musicians will go their whole lives and not write something that evokes emotion in as powerful and permanent a way as what Nobuo Uematsu composed with Aerith's theme. And at number one, <laughs> I, I didn't get clever. <laughs> I didn't, uh, yeah, I didn't try to surprise anybody here. Get ready to have your faces melted off. It's a piece of music that's almost as famous as the game itself. <laughs> it started its own trend in the world of RPGs and gaming. And still, nothing in my mind that tries to go for this. And I, I think Dancing Mad is a different thing. We could talk about that some other time. One Winged Angel is a masterpiece that I I do not even understand how it exists. I heard an interview one time where Uematsu-san explained that he wrote all of the different sections of this separately and then just put it together. And I almost wanted to put my head through the wall. <laughs> Because I don't, it, that should not work. That should be an epic disaster. Imagine writing a screenplay that way or a novel, right? Like maybe, and you could pull those things off. And he did here with this. And then he has created something that is from beginning to end as memorable and chaotic 
and purposeful and intense and unique. Even with a hundred ripoffs that have come after it, there's nothing like One Winged Angel. It has a life of its own. If a piece of music could summon a world-ending meteor to destroy the sun uh, and, and totally obliterate the solar system, uh, this would be it, to be sure. It is, yeah. God, it is a hell of a thing. And I, I have nothing else I could say about it. Well, that's really the thing, right? There's sometimes we can try to talk all this stuff out and other times especially with these music episodes all we can really do is let you listen and decide for yourself so while for the rest of these i've been playing osts and i said i would stick with that why don't we go out with the black mages version if you're gonna go out with a bang let's give you some of again Remember, this is the same guy who composed Interrupted by Fireworks. Uh-huh. And Kit Sistine. And Eyes on Me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My goodness. Like, uh, the, yeah, here it is. Kenny Omega's finishing maneuver, the supernova itself, presented by the Black Mages, one-winged 